0: Stories, fables, ghostly tales. There is a cemetery that hosts a ritual, a ritual centered around blood, and a ritual our protagonist happened to have stumbled into in the dead of night. Welcome listeners, and today I have for you an original story by Christopher Maxim, titled The Blood Keeper. Christopher has many stories that will be reaching your ears on this podcast, and this is the first one that I've had the pleasure of narrating. Show Chris some love by swinging by his Facebook page and liking it, or supporting him on his Amazon page by visiting and purchasing one of his books. I have nothing but love for authors, and this is one of the best ways to show your support. Now, I have my Earl Grey tea at the ready, and I hope you do too. Turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for something different. Hello readers, my name is unimportant. I am here. share a story of mine that i've kept bottled up for quite some time i'm a believer in the uncanny and weird as long as it is within the boundaries of reason even so i can always explain the day's events to myself and understand them no matter how odd my mind craves logic and order but the following events have none I can't explain them away at the end of the day, and I'm not even sure of what actually happened. I'm left with a bunch of what ifs. I can say with some certainty that it may have been a vivid hallucination, or a very clever deception. Either way, I feel a need to disclose my tale, if for no other reason than to get it off my chest. The following occurred in the autumn of 2010. That's as specific as I will be. I live in a small but lively town in Massachusetts. The winters are cold, and the summers are hot, but fall, to me, feels just right. Being just shy of the proper drinking age, and never having interest in such things anyhow, I found other activities to occupy my weekends. And weekdays, for that matter. I've always had a passion for the paranormal. It fascinates me, even to this day. With nothing to do with my raging case of insomnia, I spent most of my nights investigating the local cemeteries with my friends. You could call me a paranormal investigator, of sorts. But I saw it as more of a hobby. Half the time, my friends and I would goof off anyway, The only times that we became dramatically serious was when there was a lot of paranormal activity taking place. This doesn't happen all that often, but when it did, we transformed from good friends having a good time to instant professional ghost hunters. I might have even pursued it as some sort of career choice had the following not taken place. I can tell you for certain that I won't investigate a cemetery again for as long as I live. It was a night like any other for myself. I was bored I couldn't sleep, and I felt a need to do something outdoors. I called a few of my friends and asked if they wanted to investigate one of the local cemeteries that tended to have more activity than others. I was able to convince two to come with me. The others whom I called were angry that I'd woken them up. I didn't realize that it was already midnight. Anyways, the two friends that I roped in met me at the cemetery. It took us each roughly half an hour to walk there, even though we all lived on opposite sides of the town. The cemetery was smack dab in the center of town, making the location convenient for all of us, considering we were without transportation. After only an hour of investigating and goofing off, my friends left. There was little to no activity. The place was dead. No pun intended. Okay, maybe it was intended just a little bit. I stayed behind. I figured that I would take a walk through the cemetery a few times in an attempt to become tired before heading home. I started walking about when I noticed something. Before I go into details. I must describe to you the layout of the cemetery. It was quite large overall. There were two sides divided by a small street right off the main road. Each side had a stone wall that ran along the entire length of the graveyard. It came up to my waist and only broke up where the two main entrances were, one for each side. On one side was nothing but graves. The other side, the one that I was walking on, had graves, a stone tomb and a small wooden shack. This shack was where the gravedigger kept his shovels and other tools of the trade. What I had noticed whilst walking towards it was a light illuminating the inside. I didn't even know that there was any electricity that ran to the shack. I guessed that the gravedigger was working late tonight, it being around 2am at this point. I looked around and I could make out a freshly made six-foot-deep hole near the shack, big enough for a coffin. This was nothing odd to me. This graveyard was a popular one, with at least five new headstones added each month. Every time the cemetery became full, some town workers would cut down some trees and extend it. The only thing that struck me as strange was the hour. I had only seen the gravedigger work... During the day, after all, a huge, gaping hole in the ground is a dangerous thing to come across in the middle of the night. This was enough to arouse my curiosity, so I decided to see what the old man was up to. I crept over quietly, making my way to a cracked window, located on the side of the shack. This way, I could hear what was going on inside. I knew about the window because... I was the one who cracked it a year previous on one of my investigations. My friends and I were throwing rocks up in the air, trying to repeat the results of an urban legend that was passed around town. It was our town's equivalent of Bloody Mary. It was said that if you throw rocks straight up into the air and stand completely still, you could hear the screams of a woman by the name of Amalia before the rocks hit the ground. Amalia was a resident of the town during the 1940s. She died when strolling down this very street. During the newer side of the cemetery's construction, a gravestone fell on her head while being moved to its proper location by a small crane. The gravestone was one of her late husbands, whom she allegedly murdered just three weeks before her death. Instead of hearing a scream, I heard the shatter of glass a few yards away. I had broken the window at the side of the shack. Looking back now, I don't know why I believed that urban legend anyhow. I think it was fabricated to fool kids into hurting themselves. In any case, I approached the window and peered in. The gravedigger was not there. However, void of life, the shack was not. Inside the shack, to my surprise, were nine men. Nine men, sitting at a long wooden table, wearing tattered blue shrouds. The light I had seen was not a light at all, but what looked like several oil lamps. The men were eating what appeared to be a reddish stew. It looked gross. Every man cringed when eating it, except for the tall man sitting at the end of the table, and the two sitting on either side of him. I was deeply confused. What was this? Some sort of town meeting? I crouched down and listened as the tall man began to speak. Hello, young newcomers. Are you ready to start your trials? He spoke with a firm voice. It resonated throughout the shack and beckoned even myself to listen. Yes. The six men sitting around the table shouted in unison. Trials? What trials? The tall man spoke again. Good. Bloodlight Kalas will explain the rules. I could only presume that the man to his right was Kalas, as he explained everything. My memory has always served me well, so I was able to recollect everything he said, as unnerving as it was. It seemed that the men in the shack were part of a cult called the Bloodlights. Though they never referred to it as a cult, that's just what I gathered from what I had heard. The trials were more of a game, consisting of two teams that would disperse to either side of the cemetery. The tall man was the leader of the Bloodlights, and this game was his way of initiating new members. The winners would be accepted as full-fledged bloodlights. At this point, I couldn't really believe what I was hearing, but I kept listening. Whether it was out of curiosity, or fear of the men hearing me if I attempted to leave, I was immobile. Kalas continued explaining the rules. Each team consisted of four members, three bloodrunners and one blood baron, It seemed that the newcomers would be the runners, and the two men standing at the end of the table with the taller man would be the barons. There was one more participant to be discussed. The tall man, the one that was leading the trials. He was the blood keeper. He was not on either team, but was the most important part of the game. He kept and guarded what was referred to as the blood. I thought that maybe this referred to the red amulet that hung from the tall man's neck. Because with every mention of the word blood, he would firmly grasp the amulet between his fingers and close his eyes. Almost as if partaking in a silent prayer. The job of the runners was to retrieve the blood from the blood keeper. The barons acted as coaches. They would strategize with the runners. It actually sounded like a fun game that I would partake in myself. So far, everything seemed simple, until the blood keeper spoke again. With every wound, there is blood. With every drop of blood, there is light. Without death, there can be no light. I had no idea what any of what he said meant, but it was captivating, in a morbid kind of way. The bloodkeeper stepped over to a tall cupboard, at the back of the shack that I hadn't noticed before. He opened it. Inside was a young woman, bound and gagged, with eyes wide open, futilely attempting to scream for help. My heart sank. This was far beyond your normal, run-of-the-mill cult ritual. I needed to find help, but what if they heard me? I was frozen in fear, and I could not take my eyes away. The Bloodkeeper spoke again. Repeat after me. The light of blood can only be seen in death. The recruits chanted. The light of blood can only be seen in death. Just then, the Bloodkeeper took a large, red dagger from out of his cloak and grabbed the woman. All I could think was this really couldn't be happening. Could it? He pierced the knife deep into her gut the others repeated the, the light, light of blood, of blood can, can only be seen, be seen in death, death. the bloodkeeper stabbed her again the, the light, light of blood of can only be seen in death i could see the life leaving the woman's face as she tried to yell once more with such an ashen and broken expression the bloodkeeper thrusted the knife deeper into the woman's stomach the, the light, light of blood, blood can only be seen in death right before she lost consciousness she turned and looked directly at me she looked indescribably hurt both physically and mentally as tears began to soak her face at that moment i can't explain to you how knotted my stomach was i immediately threw up right next to the shack luckily no one heard me The Blood Keeper made one final blow in the already dead girl's neck, the others uttered one last time, The light of blood can only be seen in death. If I had anything left in my stomach to vomit, I would have done so again. What scared me the most was the conviction with which he stabbed her. I could see it in his face. It was almost as if there was reason behind each wound he dealt or at least to him there was. I stood there, paralyzed with fear, and watched the killer get up, and reach into a brown satchel that he was wearing over his shoulder. He pulled out three empty vials. He then continued to fill the vials with the blood that was dripping from his dagger. I now realized that the blood in the game was not his amulet, but indeed actual human blood. The Blood Keeper finished explaining the rules to the newcomers. There are three vials. This gives, at most, three of you the opportunity to be accepted as (laughs) bloodlights. I noticed Kalas laugh under his breath, as if three being accepted was unheard of. If you see a runner from the opposite team, what do you do? The newcomers answered together, Kill if you see a civilian, what do you do?" They answered once more. Kill. Kill! I dry heaved for a solid 20 seconds, trying to vomit. If I wasn't in danger before, I now was. I should have never come here. God, if you even exist, please, get me the hell away from here. I thought to myself, the bloodkeeper spoke one last time. You must stop at nothing to attain one of these vials. All others will be sacrificed. Your thirst for blood must be as strong as your will to live. Just then, the nine men walked towards the shack door to leave and begin the games. I ran as fast as I could for the wooded part of the cemetery and hid behind the largest tree I could find. I didn't want to wind up like the girl in there. I thought to myself, as I caught my breath... Pull yourself together. You just need to find a good opportunity to escape without being noticed. It shouldn't take much. I gathered my nerves and peeked out from behind the tree. Standing right there, not ten feet away, were three of the runners and Kalas facing me. I darted my head back behind the tree. Do they notice me? I peeked again and noticed that their eyes were shut, and they were standing eerily still. They must have to do this before the game starts to let the bloodkeeper hide himself from their immediate view. I was lucky. Maybe this was my chance to make a run for it. I spoke, well, I thought too soon. I heard Kalath shout, "Let the trials begin!" My heart was racing faster than you could even imagine. My fate was in the hands of the game now. I could see Kalas and the three bloodrunners in the reflection of a small puddle near my hiding tree. It had rained the previous night. They seemed to be strategizing. My heart was pounding out of my chest, so much so that I was actually afraid they might hear it. I stood there behind my tree, becoming exponentially nervous with each and every beat. I listened to their nearly inaudible whisper as the men conspired. Then, when I couldn't take another second of torture, silence cut through the brisk night air much like the bloodkeeper's dagger through that poor woman's neck it sent the coldest chill down my spine why couldn't i hear them did they leave i was too frightened to glance around the corner and see i looked at the puddle i didn't see their reflection what do i do now i was not going to run through the woods not only would the loud crunch of autumn leaves compromise my location but I had seen too many horror films to know that it wouldn't have been a good idea. I also couldn't run through the cemetery. What if a bloodrunner spotted me? Or a baron? Even worse, what if the bloodkeeper saw me? I didn't want to think about it. I calmed down as much as I could, given my current situation, and mustered up enough courage to peer around the tree. They were gone. Or at least nowhere to be seen. I looked around and weighed out my options. To the left of the cemetery, after seemingly endless rows of headstones, was more woods and a lot of briars. This was not a viable possibility. Straight ahead were more headstones at the shack. There was no way I was going to hide in the bloodlight's den with the dead girl, even if I could make it over there. To the right was even more headstones, but not as many. I squinted as I looked off in the distance, oh yeah there was a tomb off to the right of the graves it was maybe a hundred yards away i wouldn't be able to waltz over there without being noticed but maybe just maybe i could jump from tree to tree until i made it there the woods did wrap around the whole cemetery right up the backside of the tomb should i risk it or should i stay behind this tree cowering in fear until it's all over the latter option was looking pretty good but I knew if I stayed there long enough, one of them would find me. My mum was right. She always told me to stay away from the cemetery at night. Do you know the kind of people that hang out there? She said. She didn't know the half of it. I took a deep breath, and braced myself. Without so much as a second thought, I dashed in the direction of the tomb, and hid behind the closest tree I could find. I gathered my wits, and looked around the graveyard. There was still no one to be seen. I sprinted to the next tree. I took another quick glimpse of my surroundings. The coast was still clear. Before I could prepare myself to run the next three, I felt myself being lifted off of the ground. In that moment, my body went numb with utter panic. The next thing I knew... Before I could even think about what was happening, I was atop a tree branch, looking directly at a bloodrunner. I didn't scream, and I didn't try to get away. My blood ran cold, and I sat still in terror, accepting what was happening. I exhaled what I thought would be my last breath, but just as I did, the bloodrunner spoke. What's your name? I was too in shock to say a word. Come on now, what is your name? He spoke more firmly this time, and I noticed that he had an English accent. His voice also sounded deep and brash, like one's voice might sound after many years of drinking hard liquor and smoking cigarettes. I still couldn't find it in me to answer him. Look, I noticed you at the window over there, eavesdropping. If I wanted you dead, I could have pointed you out then. I want you to help me help you is all i could say yes i am going to use you to my advantage i take it you know what we're doing here and you know the rules of the game i nodded slowly still in shock good with you i may be able to turn the tables and get the upper hand my mind was racing but i listened intently on what he was saying see that tomb over there that's where the bloodkeeper is he pointed at the tomb I had been on my way to before I was lifted off of my feet into a tree. I nodded once more. That's where the Bloodkeeper is. My stomach turned. To think this guy may have just saved my life. Here, take my cloak. He handed me his blue shroud. I didn't know what he wanted me to do with it. Go ahead, put it on. Or do you want me to gut to you where you sit? I quickly threw on the cloak. Go over to the tomb, and open the door slowly. The Bloodkeeper will surely take a swing at you, just as he's about to end your life with that dagger of his. I'll swoop in and end his. Why? That's not part of the game. His eyes darted at me. Then he gave a menacing smile. I just realized that I had constructed a full sentence for the first time in his presence. Right you are. Maybe I don't want to be a bloodlight. Maybe I'm not here to play this ritualistic sport of theirs. Maybe what I'm truly after is vengeance. He looked over at the tomb, then looked around the cemetery, probably to make sure no one was listening. Many years ago, the man in that tomb, the one you know as the Bloodkeeper, stole something from me. Something I will never get back. That woman in that shack over there was not the Bloodlight's first sacrifice, not by far. The man in that tomb murdered my wife and took her blood for the sake of this game. It took me years to find him. It took me even longer to be accepted into their ranks, even as a lowly disciple. He stared off into the distance for a moment. I could see the pain in his eyes. But tonight is the night. The Bloodkeeper must die in his own game and spill blood like so many of his victims before him. Even though his actions were admirable, I still wanted no part in any of this. My life was still in danger. If you so much as take one step in the opposite direction and deviate from the plan, I will come over and kill you myself. Now get going. It seems I had no choice in the matter. His motives were blinding him from any sort of moral logic. Just like in the shack when he stood by and watched the bloodkeeper kill that poor girl. He of all people should have made an effort to stop him. But no, the only thing on his mind was revenge. And now I was tangled in an even larger mess than I was before. I did as I was told. I used the same method that I did before, jumping from tree to tree. Only now, I didn't even bother being stealthy. The blue shroud protected my identity. And I had a feeling I might die tonight anyhow. What a waste of a life. I made it to the side of the tomb. I stood there with my back to the cold age stone. My heart began racing again. I was about to come face to face with the bloodkeeper, A cold hearted monster. I crept along the side of the tomb until I could finally see the front of it. I took a quick glance and noticed that the tomb door was shut. I could see the blood runner I'd met waiting behind one of the trees near the tomb. I didn't hear him move even once so it was hard for my mind to wrap itself around the idea of him getting from the tree branch we sat on to just a few yards away from me. His covertness was impressive. He just might be able to pull this off. My newfound confidence in the runner in no way lessened my fear of the Bloodkeeper. I crouched over to the tomb door and stared at it. I guess it was now, or never. I reached for the old rusted handle. Slowly... So, as not to tip off the bloodkeeper that I was there, I also may have been stalling just a bit. After all, I was opening the door to what very well could be my death. Just as I was about to actually open the tomb, the door swung open and hit me straight in the head. I fell backwards onto the ground. I must have suffered a concussion, because everything seemed a little blurry, and I could feel myself losing consciousness. I looked up before I passed out. I could see the bloodkeeper standing before me in the moonlight. I was staring at a blurry vision of death, here to kill me and take the blood out of my racing heart. I blinked and saw another figure. In my fuzzy state, I couldn't make out who was who, but one of them was thrusting his dagger into the other over and over again. The prey in this scuffle fell to his knees and then landed face first into the cold cemetery soil. The victor kept stabbing him. With each swing of his dagger, he seemed to become more and more furious, because I could hear the piercing sound of metal through flesh growing louder. I prayed that it was the blood keeper being torn apart. Otherwise, I was done for. I closed my eyes once again and passed out. Are you alright there? I heard an old man's voice say as I gradually began to open my eyes. Are you okay? I opened my eyes fully and looked at the voice speaking to me. It was the gravedigger. But how? What? How? Where did they go? Is all I could manage to say. He looked puzzled. Where did who go? I couldn't wrap my head around any of this. What was going on? I... I should be dead. The gravedigger stared at me for a second and then changed his expression from confusion to sympathy. Come on, you'll catch cold out here. He invited me into the shack. Before I walked in, I noticed something. The newly dug grave I'd seen near the shack was gone. I really didn't know what to believe at this point, but I walked into the shack anyhow. The gravedigger, whose name I now know to be Pete, fed me and gave me a jacket to wear. In a frazzled state, I couldn't help but tell him everything that I had seen. He didn't look surprised at all. I didn't even think to describe the men by their given titles, bloodrunner, baron, etc. But Pete responded with, It sounds like you had a run-in with the bloodkeeper. That's him! How do you know about the bloodkeeper? My jaw dropped in disbelief. His spirit has been haunting this place for over 100 years now, I suppose. I just glared at Pete, waiting for an explanation. He could tell I was still fatigued and confused, so he took the time to elaborate. He must have talked nonstop for over an hour. I could tell I struck a nerve with this story. In a nutshell, the Bloodlights were a sadistic cult that formed in the late 1800s and started terrorizing the local community, bringing on a heavy lust for blood. With each bloodlight initiation brought more deaths, they would only use various cemeteries in the area as a field for their sport, digging a six-foot hole each time, throwing the casualties, sacrifices, in before they covered it back up. Who would look for dead bodies in a graveyard, right? Right? They racked up a death toll of over 50 victims before their games were brought to a halt. Things, however, went horribly wrong for the Bloodlights during what turned out to be their final game. An Englishman infiltrated their ranks and killed the Bloodkeeper that night with the help of a young man. Did I help him kill the Bloodkeeper? The young man was never identified. The local authorities were able to round up the rest of the bloodlights soon after. The death of the bloodkeeper left them leaderless and unorganized. After Pete explained everything, I couldn't help but sit there in awe. Did I relive what that young man went through that night, or even wilder, was I that young man? Did I time travel? My logical mind immediately rejected the theory. I believe in the paranormal, but time travel is too far-fetched for me. In fact, until now, I've tried to forget about that night. I could never wrap my head around it, and I still can't. Maybe by writing this, I can finally put this experience, much like the Bloodkeeper, to rest. The only thing that kept haunting me after I left the shack that night were the fuzzy images left in my mind, before I had passed out. Though I couldn't fully differentiate who was who, I was almost certain that it was the Bloodkeeper who was stabbing the man I was helping, albeit against my will. What if nothing supernatural happened here at all? And the graveyard digger lied to me, so I wouldn't divulge my story to anyone else without sounding completely and utterly crazy. What if he was a Bloodlight, too? I also could have sworn I saw a shovel on the ground, right where the six-foot deep hole used to be. What if? No, it can't be. They certainly would have killed me rather than construct an elaborate ruse to keep me quiet. Right? I'm just paranoid. One thing is for sure, though. I will never venture to to any cemetery at night, ever again. Whether or not the Blood Keeper is dead, or still out there, making his rounds. Goodness! So, I had a couple of thoughts around the ending to this story. At first, I was thinking our protagonist was witnessing and being part of a ghostly echo of time gone by, a terrible visage of apparitions where many souls died due to this horrific event. Then I thought, perhaps, he had a hand in influencing its outcome through time travel, whilst then, jumping again, to the thought that perhaps Pete the Graveyard Digger was in on the cult. Curious, yes? What do you think? Am I on the right track or way off? And if you have another idea or thought as to what's going on here, feel free to comment below or send me an email at storiesfablesghostlytalesgmail.com. Also, be sure to check out Christopher Maxim's website for more stories, and if you get the chance, support Chris in any way you can within your means. Be it a like, spreading the word, sharing stories, or buying one of his books, it's the best way to get people to know that excellent authors are out there and who those authors are. I'll include all of Christopher Maxim's details, his website, his Facebook link, and his Amazon page in the episode show notes. So, have a fantastic day or night, you creepylicious ghouls, and I'll catch you next time.